Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show as we discuss the 2021 USL Championship League Final as Orange County Blues defeat the Tampa Bay Rowdies by a final of three goals to one to join me. He called the match on ESPN as well as ESPN Plus. Devin Kerr, the analyst for USL matches on ESPN Plus as well as Open Cup and CONCACAF events. Devin you were down there at Al Lang Stadium. What a final that was. I, I have to admit, I was going with Tampa Bay Rowdies all the way. I thought the Rowdies had a better opportunity to win um, another championship. But Orange County spoiled the party. How in the hell did they do that? All right, well, let's start with this first off. Because all my peeps in Orange County, I know we got a bunch listening, they will light me up if I don't say something. I love the reference, the Orange County Blues. They haven't been the Orange County Blues for a couple of years. They were the L.A. Blues and the Orange County Blues. Now it's just Orange County SC. So i got to clear that up, otherwise they're going to light me up. However, I'm not surprised that Orange County won. I was surprised in the manner in which they did it, meaning running away in this game, um, per, per, you know, particularly the scoreline. The 3 nothing was, was not expected. Um, some people compared this of, you know, what would you compare it to in terms of upsets in years past? I didn't think this was an upset. And a lot of people might look at me and think I was crazy, but, you know, going back to late September, we were on US All Access and Series XM, and we were talking about teams in the Western Conference and who I thought were the most dangerous. And, you know, I'd already voiced my opinions of where I thought Phoenix needed to be better. You know, I, I thought El Paso Locomotive could make some noise, but I didn't necessarily think – they were going to be there. I, I thought the two best teams that had the best chance were San Antonio and Orange County. And when I referenced the Pacific Division, I specifically said the only team that scares me coming out of the Pacific is Orange County. The writing was on the wall. The question was going to be how good were they going to be? And they pretty much answered all of those questions in 45 minutes in the final. 3 nothing. They were brilliant. You know, they chased a lot in the opening 20 minutes. But otherwise, I mean, you watch the game – 20 minutes, 25 minutes into that game, you did not know that that was going to be 3-0 at halftime. Fair enough? Fair enough. I had no clue it was going to be 3-0 at all. I mean, I thought, you know, okay, there's the opening goal, or should I say, there's the penalty kick, Tampa's going to be on the board, and then that amazing, amazing penalty kick save by uh, the starting goalkeeper in Patrick Rakowski. I mean, how he guessed right, and I was even more amazed on the replay above the net, how deep he was inside his net, just behind the yeah. line to make that save. That's amazing. Well, if you, if you watch him as well, it's, it's great for goalkeepers at home because, number one, interviewing him, he didn't study Gwenzati. That is, you are spot on. He 100% read that. He knew exactly, based upon his body language and the motion coming at him, he knew exactly where he was going to go. When he started that deep for goalkeepers at home, you can get away with taking a step and starting your momentum one way and reading it right because you're behind the line. 
if you start on the line and come off, obviously you're going to get in trouble and get yourself the warning, the yellow card, all that jazz. Um, I thought what was interesting to me was Gwen Zotti and the miss of the penalty. A lot of people looked at it and might have said, oh, you know, he doesn't really miss. That was actually his fourth penalty miss this year. And what was interesting about all of that was he struggled in training. A lot of the guys from the spot have struggled in training because, oddly enough, their goalkeeper is actually that good at penalty saves. And I'm not talking about Evan Loro. Obviously, Evan Loro, unfortunately, went down in the conference final, the Eastern Conference final against Louisville. Ryko Rosarina is ridiculous from the spot. I watched him in penalties the day before, saving them left and right, and the confidence was rattled a little bit by Gwenzotti, and he missed a bunch, and unfortunately, he missed again. But, you know, you can't take anything away from the goalkeeper. You know, the two goals that they scored prior to the set piece, the first one, 99.9% of the time, Tampa plays out of the back, and they turn that into a counter, or they maintain possession. I don't think I've ever seen um, Jordan Scarlett that clueless playing off the back line. I mean, he's so consistent. They all are. Scarlett, Guillen, and Lasso, they're so consistent, eyes in the back of their head, whatever analogy you want to use, and he just gifts it to them. So there is an easy one, nothing, and they were chasing. And then the second goal, I said this in the game against San Antonio, when the ball dropped on the throw against San Antonio for Thomas to put it in the back of the net, I said I never understood how it could drop to someone that small because everybody else on, on San Antonio is so tall. For the Rowdies, it was kind of the same thing. Like, in the scouting report for that game was this. On the offensive side of the ball, defensively, all you have to lock up is Domus. And I'm not being disrespectful to the other players. It's just that simple. Domus is extremely talented. Coming into the game, had 16 goals and 30 appearances. Anybody that scores more than half the time, it's a red flag. Hey, we got to mark him up. And yet, Lasso backed off. Scarlett didn't shift over to the, to the backside shoulder. The space is wide open. Then neither one of the two step, and it's an easy 2 nothing goal. I, I've never seen mistakes like that from the Rowdies in general, yet alone in back-to-back fashion in a final. Would you say that yellow card to Forrest Lasso caused him to back off because he didn't want to get a second? It's a good shout. Somebody else asked me this, and I would say no. I, I don't think that personally. It's a good hypothesis. But knowing him as a person – knowing what he's capable of and the way that he plays, he plays with no fear. He's the type of person that, look, man, if he's going to get sent off, he's going to get sent off. Rarely does he because at this level he's that calculated and understands the game that well that he can read it, and that's totally fine. The other thing about it is, too, this may be a stretch on my part, but as a former center back, if you make that type of mistake, a couple minutes, three, four, five, maybe ten minutes, that's a stretch, Anything outside of that, and 10 minutes may be a stretch, anything outside of that is it's long gone. You're talking about something that happened 20, 25 minutes later. And I'm looking at it right now. Pick up the yellow card in the 16th minute. The goal is in the 38th. So, you know, 22 minutes later. That's the furthest thing from the center back's mind. Now, he may be thinking about when the ball's coming back through, they're a little bit rattled because of the momentum. That's a different argument. But I don't think the yellow card had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to tell you, that was amazing to watch uh, Ro- Rolando, <clears throat> Ronaldo Damos with a brace in this one. Just amazing to watch. And then the free kick bender, 
I mean, what a strike. Miko Kunigas, Kunigas, what a strike that was. I could not believe, as you said it on the broadcast, how pure he tagged that ball. How he nailed that sucker to go inside the near post and beat the keeper handedly. It was amazing to watch. And Orange County, from the first goal to the last goal before halftime whistle was blown, a 20-minute barrage with three goals. So let's start with Kaningas, right? And here's why. Mm -hmm. He's someone who, in terms of the effectiveness of what he had for this team, you can't understate his value because when you look around the squad – there are names that are bigger than his. There are, you know, score sheets and statistics that are going to stand out more than him, right? So you mentioned Damas, absolutely. Ronaldo Damas coming in, 16 goals, obviously bags himself two more. So he ends up with 18 goals in 31 games. That's not too shabby of a year. You've got guys like Eric Calvillo, you know, Cosmos player back in the day. You know, won the um, was a runner-up back in 2007. Actually, no, won it, sorry, in 17. Um, scored one of the mm-hmm. game-winning goals, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, San Jose guy looking to break his way through. Someone like Dylan Powers. Do we need to talk about his resume at the MLS level? How about Orozco and what he's done with the United States men's national team? I mean, this guy has won a gold cup and the Copa MX with Puebla and almost 30 caps for Stars and Stripes. Rob Kiernan won an FA Cup. Glasgow Rangers, Watford, Wigan Athletic. I mean, this guy's seen it all. Kevin Olsen, rookie of the year in MLS. So, as I go through, and I'm just naming a couple, like there are so many more that I would probably list off before you get to a name like Miko Kaningas. But the guy, Swiss Army Knife, would be insulting him because he is that versatile. He has the ability at a moment's notice, either in a movement or a coaching change, to move anywhere on the field. Wherever he's needed, He's more than happy to step up into it. And he's not just willing to step up into it, but he actually is very effective doing so. So they played him at – so within a 4-3-3, they played him in the 6. They played him in the 8. They played him in the 10. In a 4-2-3-1, say it again, 6, 8. Not really in the 10, more so in the 7 or 11 on the outside. All four positions within the 4-4-2. They've moved him to outside back when need be, left back specifically. And he does it at a really high level. And you look at him, he only had three goals coming in. He's got a really good left foot, though. Beautiful vision. And it was very poetic to me, the fact that, you know, watching him the day before in training, knowing how well he can strike a ball, and I'm watching this guy just sit there, Daniel, and he's just pinging balls left and right. Now, training is finished. Some guys are having a laugh in the corner. Other guys are juggling, messing around. Some are taking PKs. Some are getting treatment. Others are doing interviews. He's sitting there whipping in free kicks from, you know, just outside the box. And he can't hit the broad side of a barn. And I just, I felt for him. You could, you could seriously, you could, you could see the frustration. Some guys were having to go at him. But I think it's a real testament to someone like that who he just sat there and he just kept going and going and going. And I've been in his shoes, you know, when, when your day's off and you know that you still got to put in the work. And it, it was just, it was so interesting to me that all of that went through. And here's a guy, 24 years of age. He's seen a lot already, right? Lati in, in, um, in Finland is the team that he grew up with. And, you know, went on loan a couple of times, but that's where he played with. And that's where he came from after his spell on loan. And for him to step up, 
hit a free kick in that nature, beautiful. I would say the only thing about it is my only real issue throughout the game on the goalkeeper from Tampa is if you watch him, he's pinched, not only is he pinched too far to the left, he's only got four on the wall, that's fine. I thought maybe they might have gone with five, but from that distance, okay, you go with four. Not only is he pinched too far left, he's actually quite a distance off his line. So even when he tries to make a recovery, he's a good two yards, maybe two and a half yards off his line. So for him to track to his side and backwards, when this thing is probably going in, even if he's more centrally located anyway, for him to try and recover in that fashion, never going to happen. And at 3 nothing, you know, the, the running joke with Orange County, Richard Chapel, the head coach, walked in and kind of looked at the boys and go, all right, guys. Uh, not exactly sure what to tell you. Never been here before. But they deserved it, man. They, they were great the final 20 minutes of the first half. Everybody, everybody had a good laugh, and, and they were great in the second half, too. No, that's fantastic from him. Um, and obviously, Leo Fernandez in the 57th minute made it 3-1, but that was all. And, you know, when they got to halftime, and I said this on Twitter, I think Lucky M. Kosana is going to have to come in for the entire second half. Unfortunately, he came in in the 61st minute. I know Leo Fernandez converted the, the 3-1 goal, but, I mean, you know as well as I do, you know, his time with the New York Cosmos before then, uh, the, the, now the, the defunct Harrisburg City Islanders. Lucky Kosana is a second-half miracle worker, and I really thought he would have to play the entire 45 in the second half, and it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? He actually statistically has the most goals coming off the bench as a substitute in USL championship history. So you talk about a Cosmos legend, you know, one of his teammates, Seba Guanzati, another one that threw his name in there. But they just don't utilize him in that fashion. They tried to make a change that they made in the Eastern Conference final against Louisville. Now, against Louisville, they did it in the 62nd minute. And they, they had a different player that came out. That Jordan Doherty came out in the Eastern Conference final. They're right back. Harris came on. Scarlett came out in the final. Harris came on. And it worked for them in brilliant fashion in the Eastern Conference Final. It was one change. They made five tactical changes on the field, moving pieces all over. Basically, it affected the right back, one of the holding midfielders, one of the outside – sorry, both outside midfielders, and then two spots on the front line. And when they made the change at halftime with Dan Harris coming on, you could see the speed was there. This team – the Rowdies didn't lack for quality in the opening 25, 30 minutes of this game. Where they got themselves into trouble was, A, their inability to finish, B, Patrick Krakowski, the goalkeeper from Orange County, and I'll get to him in a second, how good he was, because it's not just the first half of the entire game, and C, their defensive slip-ups, right? Orange County was not great in the opening, we'll say, 22 to 25 minutes of this game. They chased a lot. That was nothing new under the tenure of Richard Chaplow, but the question was going to be is, could they continue at that frantic of a pace to chase for that long? The answer probably would have been no. They got lucky on the giveaway. Fair play. It's one nothing. Tampa gives it away. And that was really the turnaround. And so from there, they took control of the game. Second half comes around. Tampa gets back into it. You saw some of the glimpses that we did in the opening 15, 20 minutes of the first half. Leo Fernandez gets his goal. Fernandez had a couple really good opportunities. And then Tampa started to make changes, right? It was, all right, lucky comes on four or five minutes after Fernandez scores his goal. I thought that was interesting because Fernandez was semi-decent, but they wanted to retain a target man. And who else are you going to take off in that situation? Thought maybe they might have taken Dalgard off, but they didn't. 
Then it became how many ball handlers can we get on the field to try and chase this game because that's what Orange County is. The greatness about Orange County is the fact that they make you think because when they're on the ball, they're very difficult to get off of it. And that's the biggest change that came in the Richard Chaplow era. They went 12-3-2 underneath him. They had six shutouts in the last nine games, 11 goals for, three goals against. The biggest thing for me, though, is when I say that they have the ball you have to chase, they only conceded 14 goals in 17 games. That's less than a goal a game. They didn't have a lot of multi-goal games. And I'm throwing numbers at you for frame of reference because basically for half the season they had a different coach, right? Braden Cloutier was there. You know, a couple multi-goal games underneath him, but the, they scored more, they gave up more is the easier way to say it. So they didn't score as much under Richard, but they conceded a lot less. They were much more efficient on the ball, and the evolution of their system, all their fans are going to know it, but around the USL Championship, they became less predictable in their build. They were incapable of transitioning as fast. The game plan wasn't as wide open, but it didn't need to be because they were so good at blocking up the spaces when they did turn the ball over. You know, I always say when you're going to take chances, Daniel, if you're going to ping a long ball into the corner or you're going to turn it over and take a chance, do it in the right area. Do it 15, 20 yards from the opponent's net. Don't get yourself into trouble in your own half or in front of your own net. And that's what they did. This team is just so good, especially once they get a lead, they lock it up, they never look back in the rearview mirror, and everybody spends the entire rest of the game trying to chase them down usually unsuccessfully. What do you make about the job Richard Chaplow did as interim? And it looks like he'll be staying on, from my perspective, uh, he'll be staying on as the head coach now. One of the better managing jobs that I've seen done in a season in general, yet alone he only did it for half the amount of games, right? So Mm -hmm. the greatest thing about this, I can throw numbers at you. We can talk about the titles, the wins. Here's what you need to know. He didn't want to play that way. That's a manager who wants to play wide-open football. He wants to get the ball. He wants to pound the goal. Tons of shots. Wants to transition quickly. They tried to do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get it done. And it's not that the results were that poor. Like, if you statistically, he took over. His first game was August 21st, okay? They went win, draw, draw, win. First four games as a manager, you go 2-0-2. That's not half bad. The problem was is in the next three out of four games, they lost. But their last loss was on October 9th, and they ran off nine in a row. They made a change, and they made a change after the September 18th game against Phoenix Rising. In that Phoenix Rising game, Phoenix scored in the opening 10 minutes. Tate Schmidt had a double yellow. He got thrown off at halftime. The problem was is even when they were up a man, and they looked dangerous, I still think that Orange County probably should have won that game, but they didn't. They lost 2-1. They gave up a goal. They didn't create enough, and they recognized that they couldn't play the way that they wanted to play. They had to play the way that they needed to play. They needed to be more efficient on the ball, slow it down at times, almost lull you to sleep in certain areas, but their ability to execute in the final third was almost unprecedented, and they got goals from all over the place. Ronaldo Donis coming down the stretch was almost silent. So he scored the Colorado Springs game. But going into the San Antonio game, which was the Western Conference final, he only had two goals in his previous 10 matches. That's not a lot. For a guy that scored going into the final 16 times, that's not a lot of goals, right? So he had 14 goals in the the other, what is that, 26 games. 
that's really good. I mean, those are big numbers, right? Or, excuse me, not even. Yep. 14 goals in 20 games. So, I mean, those are huge numbers. But he was quiet. But I think that's the brilliance here of Orange County where, you know, they slowed it down. They said, okay, we're not going to beat you here. We're not going to beat you here. We're going to pick and choose our chances. And I have to run here in a minute, but I want people to understand no, I know. this because pe- people mm-hmm. look at this as an upset. Do not look at this game as an upset. It was unfortunate for the Rowdies for sure. They didn't have their starting goalkeeper. Two guys were coming back from being unavailable in the past couple of weeks. Three, if you include Dos Santos, who played the week before, but came off the bench. This team had nine wins to close the season. That includes regular and postseason play. That is the second best run in the history of the USL Championship in the modern era. The only team to have more wins was the Louisville team of 2018 who went back-to-back. Now, when you think historically, when we talk about some of the greatest teams within the USL Championship, to have won a title, that's the asterisk here, teams that have won a title, the 2015 Rochester Rhinos, who set the shutout record team. Excuse me, mm-hmm. set the league shutout record. They only won five, right. five of their final games. The, the 2014 Sacramento Republic, the only team in the modern era to win as an expansion franchise, and I reference them as a great because they won it as an expansion franchise. They only won three of their final games. The 2013 Orange County team, or excuse me, Orlando City team, Jamie Watson, Dom Dwyer, C.J. Sapong, Kevin Molino, James O'Connor, Christian Duke, Anthony Pulis. I mean, the list goes on at how good this team was. That team, Daniel, that team won four of their final games. That includes postseason play. So they won their final game in regular season. They won three in postseason. Orange County rattled off nine. So when people look around the league and say, this was an upset, I'd be quick to bite my tongue if I were you because this team needs to be given its respect and considered as one of the USL championship all-time greats. They were brilliant the second half of the season and under Richard Chaplow. That's Devin Kerr, ESPN Plus analyst for USL Championship, Open Cup, and CONCACAF events. Thank you again, as always. Hope you have a good night, and thanks again, Devin. Great job on this entire season. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me. We'll speak soon. We'll speak soon. And that, once again, is Devin Kerr. Uh, just amazing to watch, just amazing to see what, (laughs) excuse me, just amazing to watch what that final was all about. Orange County, uh, the, the years that they've been in USL championship, um, you know, you've seen these, this club perform, uh, play, you know, they play hard, but you know, probably in the past, nothing much has happened. And now you're seeing them building and building and building. And let's not forget their partnership with Glasgow Rangers of the Scottish Premier League and, you know, what's going on over there and and everything that's happened with this partnership and and all these players doing so well. We all know Southern California as a plethora of talented players playing at the highest level possible. It doesn't matter if it's the LA Galaxy or the LAFC. You know, what's going on, of course, with Landon Donovan's San Diego Loyal, Orange County right now, what they've been able to do, how they're able to do it. It has just been an amazing feeling to watch what has happened when it comes to these players and these teams that are going for it and they are doing uh, wonderful moments. 
playing in the USL and in, you know, USL championship. It is just amazing to watch what's been going on. And let's not forget, um, we're also going to see uh, more California teams expanding. Monterey Bay uh, will be expanding into USL championship. Of course, let's not forget Oakland Roots uh, moved to USL championship for this year. So they're up there now as well as a second division club coming out of uh, NISA. And, you know, this Western Conference is just as competitive as the Eastern Conference. So that's the best thing you can see. And that's the best thing you want to see in a second division league of professional soccer. And what what else can you say? What else can you say? I, I have to tell you, it really makes me smile and it really makes me feel very good to see what's been going on with these clubs, with these teams in USL action. It is just wonderful to notice what the situation has become and everything is really going strong. And of course, later on in about five plus minutes or so, in about four plus minutes or so, I should say, uh, we're going to have on uh, from the uh, OCSC uh, soccer podcast, the Orange and Black soccer cast uh we're gonna have on mr ray samora joining us to get their opinions of meeting the orange county fandom the orange county fans you know what they've witnessed how they witnessed it some of them of course did make the trip across the country to come to tampa st petersburg area to go to al lang stadium and you know when you're watching what you saw, and, and look, most of you are watching USL games through ESPN Plus, through that streaming platform. And of course, next year, Open Cup is back. Uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualification uh, has been fantastic. Of course, being with, you know, with Devin and what he does and everything, it's just been fantastic to watch this progression of USL championship games making the impact that they are and the dangerous plays some of these players are doing. It's just wonderful to watch. And you got to give them a lot of, um, a lot of kudos. You have to, because it's just been fun to watch. It's been great to see. It's been excellent. And it goes to show you, if you have a healthy second division, you're going to get great football up and down the line. It has just been amazing. It has just been so much fun to watch what's been going on here in USL championship action. And even though President Jake Edwards was talking about aligning the leagues to the international calendar, um, and at the same time, having internal pro-rel between USL Championship and USL League One. We'll see what happens on that front. Um, you know, once again, let me just say this right now, and I, and I will always stand by this. I, we cannot have division within our leagues, no matter what happens. We cannot have division within our leagues. 
And I understand USL is running second and third uh, within their own, as well as the amateur leagues of USL League Two. But for that to happen, I really would love to have everybody on board together. That's my only concern here. We cannot have a separation of leagues doing their own thing and then MLS does their own thing and all that stuff. Look, in leagues doing their own thing, yes, I understand that and that's fine. But if we're going to have a separation because USL wants to have the internal pro rel and they want to align themselves to the international calendar, no, we all have to come together. And once again, I'm going to reiterate the famous words of John Hancock, who was at the time during the Revolutionary War, the president of Congress, of course, before we became a country, basically, we either we all walk together or together we must stay where we are. And the truth is, we have to stay where we are before we make a move like that, because I think it would be a big mistake to make a move like that so early that we'll have complete separation and we'll be completely out of whack and no one will take us seriously as a soccer nation, as a soccer power. And, you know, we're, we're just going to have problems. And I think that's wrong. I'm not saying I'm against the idea. I'm just saying we cannot have the USL jumping ship to make that move that we all so desperately want and not involve MLS or the U.S. Soccer Federation or any other leagues below USL. We all have to do it together. And if we're not going to do it together, we cannot do it separately. Just cannot do it separately at all. And that would be the biggest mistake if USL does make that move on their own. And that's all I'm saying. But anyway, let's move on here from the Orange County Soccer Podcast, the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. Joining me right now, Ray Samora, uh, who is a part of that podcast. And, of course, uh, probably also a longtime Orange County SC supporter. Ray, I don't know how long it's been in existence. I'm assuming it's been maybe more than a decade. But to see this club reaching the ultimate pinnacle in USL championship glory, give me your thoughts of that night at Al Lang Stadium. Either you were there or you're back on the West Coast watching it with a party. So, um, it, it, A, thanks for welcoming me on, or thank you for having me on your show. Uh, but, man, that was such an amazing experience watching that match. I was in Southern California. I didn't get to make the trip out. We did have Dylan, who's a co-host uh, and a founding member of our podcast that made the trip out to Al Lang Stadium. Uh, anyone that watched the broadcast, he was the shirtless guy towards the end of the match. Uh, he is the representative from our podcast that was out there. But, man, it was such an amazing, amazing thing to see. Uh, there was a great group of, of people that were at the OCSE fan viewing party. There was images that were shown on that stream. You could see how excited that was. I spoke to some of the people that attended that event, uh, and they were uh, bringing in people that had no idea what was going on to this. There was people that were just showing up at this brewery thinking, hey, I'm going to go grab a drink tonight with some friends. And lo and behold, they walk in, and there's this party going on for Orange County Soccer Club. And at the end, I think 
there, a few new fans joined into the fold. Uh, but for a team that's one of the original members of the current iteration of USL Championship to uh, lift that trophy when, was all, when all was said and done was such a, a wonderful feeling and a great feeling for the local fans here that have been following this team from the times at Cal State Fullerton to the times they were playing at UC Irvine, where we've heard rumors that some of these older matches where fans were bringing couches and buckets of beer to go watch these matches uh, because that's what the atmosphere was like. So, uh, you know, for all those fans, myself included, the rest of my podcast crew included, it was such an amazing uh, experience to watch it wherever we were watching this match from. Now, listen, I'm never going to uh, accuse anyone of, you know, not crying for a championship team or watching this, watching your favorite team go out. You've had some decent seasons. You've had some horrible seasons. But you've never seen a, a, a championship team going out into that environment and winning a title. What was the festivities at this bar, this watch party, and did you shed a tear? Uh, the, I mean, the, the, the crowd was crazy. There, there's videos. Uh, I, I wish this was a, a video stream that I could share, but there's videos that I have that the club sent my way uh, of the, the fans basically chanting – uh, throughout most of this match in this local brewery that we have. Uh, basically, every TV was turned on to, to this uh, match. Everyone was just on their feet the whole time. Uh, it, it was crazy. And for me, I, I want to be honest, at the final whistle, I was probably quiet for about five minutes. I was probably in shock. Like, I could not believe that Orange County had achieved this ultimate goal. Uh, as a fan, I had hope. But when it actually comes true, and to, to preface this, you know, I watch other sports. I'm an L.A. Clippers fan. Anyone that follows basketball knows that's the, the laughing stock of the league, someone that's followed a team since the 80s, and now I'm following an Orange County team. So when you get to this, this point where your team wins it, I was in shock for a few months, and then, you know, obviously I, I went crazy. I blasted some, some queen. We are the champions. I actually went out onto my balcony. I'm sure I made a few uh, – uh, enemies with my neighbors, but I was chanting that song for a good, you know, two to three minutes. Uh, so the whole neighborhood was hearing. And I, I can tell you, knowing this neighborhood, knowing this county, most of the fans around probably had no idea why I was being so crazy, so loud. But those that maybe were aware got it and understood that feeling and that emotion there. So I have to ask you about these players. Obviously, uh, Ronaldo Duma, Damos, uh, the Haitian. Uh, who scored the the brace in that opening half? Uh, what was that feeling like to see him not only just getting that opening goal in the 25th minute, but that second goal that came about 11 minutes later? Uh, let me let me just say, props to Ronaldo on that first goal because I know a lot of people are saying that was gifted to him, but I, I can guarantee you there are plenty of players in this USL championship and in soccer around the world that get that opportunity, such a perfect uh, opportunity to score just set right in front of them, and they're going to lift that ball o over the crossbar or shoot it wide uh, or, or miss the ball completely because the nerves are on there. So for this young guy from Haiti uh, who has gone through so much this season, I mean, coming over to Orange County, can barely speak the language, you know, going to represent his team, his country midseason and you know, missing a few games with Orange County, the, the horrible earthquake that happened in Haiti, earlier this year, uh, to come and be the star of the show and win that, that man of the match for the final there was amazing. But 
uh, those goals, uh, that, that was Ronaldo Damas all season. He's, he's a player. He is high energy. He it puts himself out there. And, and the reason he scored so many goals is he got himself in great positions to score, whether it was a gift from the other team, whether it was a gift from one of his teammates, or whether it was his, him just working his butt off to get past someone and use that speed to get a goal. Uh, and there was probably a good three, four, five opportunities throughout the season that he just couldn't finish the goal. He could have ended up with, with you know, three or four more goals on the season. So for that kid, um, man, the sky's the limit for him right now. Uh, my fingers are crossed that somehow, some way, he decides he wants one more year with Orange County. Uh, but, you know, anyone that follows Orange County and most of the fans that follow USL, uh, they, they realize this is just a stepping, uh, stepping stone. This is a, just a, a way to get to that next level if you're good enough. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to see what this kid will have and what he'll bring at the next level once he gets there. But hopefully one more year with Orange County if, uh, if they can make it happen. And the free kick by Miko uh, Kuningas, that must have been the biggest celebration in that bar uh, in the uh, last minute of regulation in the first half. What was that feeling like for you watching that free kick? And did you feel he was going to nail it like that? You know, honestly, that kick, if you look at the replay, I believe it's uh, Kuningas and um, Eric Calvillo that are both lined up for that kick. And if you watch early in the season, I can't remember the opponent that he, he, he did this again, but Calvillo hit almost from the exact same position, hit a, a free kick into the upper left corner, uh, curling away from the goalkeeper. So I, I was looking at the setup, and I'm like, is this going to be Calvillo taking that kick? But no, Kaningas goes up there and, and takes that. And I was listening to Devin Kerr uh, earlier. He was mentioning how Kaningas was struggling the day before at uh, training to get that goal into net. So that surprises me even more that he's the man that, that took that kick. But if you watch him all season, uh, there's a reason why we, we do a, an awards uh, sort of show at the end of the season. It's going to happen in a couple of weeks, and we let the fans vote on it. There's a reason why uh, Kaningas is one of the top vote getters, you know, one of the candidates for fan favorites uh, on this team because, man, fans have just grown to love this this guy. He, he came over. He joined us on our show, mentioned how uh, he's a huge Social Distortion fan, which is a local OC band. He listened to them, you know, back when he was in Europe. Um, that sort of grew him closer to the fan base. Uh, when he made that goal, I, I, when he kicked it, when I saw it floating, it was almost in slow motion. It, in my mind, that was going in. Um, and lo and behold, it, it snuck right past the goalkeeper, um, a Rosarena, got his fingertips on it, but too much power behind that shot. And that's what a good, uh, a good powerful free kick can do for you. And props to that kid. He, he, he's a youngster, too. If you look at Orange County's roster, some of these key players, Calvillo, Kaningas, Damas, uh, Ben Mines, there's a lot of young talent on this team. I know uh, Devin was naming off a lot of the veteran players uh, on this team, but there's a lot of quality young players, which is what Orange County has tried to do over the last few seasons is, is become this development, development ground for young players, young U.S. players. We've seen Kobe Henry got a call-up to the uh, U.S. US national team today announced, uh, I believe looking through that list, at least when you look at the teams listed, the only uh, USL championship player that's on that list that was currently on a USL championship roster. Uh, and, and I don't think that's possible if Orange County doesn't make this run at the end of the season and win the, uh, the lift the, the cup for the USL championship. I think uh, that might be going to another player. So that was a, an amazing thing to see for him. But, yeah, the, to answer your question about Kaningas, that was a beautiful goal. 
and, and I had faith in it going in once I saw the the kick leave uh, leave the ground and hit the air. And of course, early in the match, uh, Rowdy's get a penalty. Uh, fantastic read by Rakowski. What is about him that where I I did speak with Devin earlier tonight, and to me, I couldn't believe how deep he was inside his inside his net and behind the line, and how he read that penalty brilliantly, and he parries it wide to the right. Uh, so I didn't, uh, you know, analyze that stop as much as uh, yourself and Devin. I didn't really pay attention to where his positioning was before the kick went out. But let's say this. Uh, being in a being in good form helps quite a bit, and if you look at Orange County early in the season, maybe when Rakowski was struggling a little bit, there was this competition between Rakowski and uh, Abraham Romero. They were both sort of splitting minutes. There was runs where one would get five matches, then the other would get five matches, and, and I think that was counterproductive to what you want to see. You want your number one goalkeeper to go out there knowing they're number one, get the the their name on the sheet, the, the starting eleven, game in. Uh, and game out every single match. And if you look at that final run where Orange County basically went on that streak, I, I, Devin called it out, the nine-match the nine match win streak there to, to wrap up the season, Rakowski was in the goal for each of those matches. And if you look at heading into the final, the previous two matches, Rakowski was in a, a PK shootout situation uh, because no one could win the, the match. The match ended in draw for, uh, against Oakland and against San Antonio. So I, I think... All of that, it's, it's, it's like a Hollywood movie setup. I mean, the, Hollywood couldn't have wrote, uh, written this script better, right? The, the struggles early on in the season because you're battling with someone else, getting that call, getting into a good run of form where Orange County's defense was spectacular, Rakowski up for, uh, you know, player of the month to end the season there because of his amazing run between the, the posts, and then, you know, getting those opportunities to be huge, come up huge for Orange County, against Oakland, against San Antonio. I, it, it's a Hollywood script. He makes that save because of all of that. It, 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 if he doesn't make that save, this is not Hollywood. And, um, yeah, it was awesome. And, and to see how pumped up his teammates got after he made that save, uh, you, you know Kevin Alston was kicking himself after that penalty, which honestly was a penalty. I know watching it live, I'm like, what? That was no penalty. But you watch the replay in slow motion. Oh, yep, the ref got that one right. Uh, but you know that that's big on your defense because now you know your goalkeeper stepped up for you. Now you got to step up for him, uh, and the defense for Orange County was spectacular. You know, for most of the rest of the match, I know there was that one weird play that Tampa Bay finally got on the on the scoreboard. Uh, that ball just sort of bouncing around, and and Rakowski could have made a play on it. Rob Kiernan could have made a play on it. No one quite did. Uh, but yeah, that that save set the tone for this Orange County team, and I think it any. Momentum that Tampa Bay had going into this match just went out the door. Uh, and at that point, Tampa Bay had all the pressure on them. Orange County was playing with this freedom because no one, no one picked Orange County to win this match. And none of the experts. I mean, some of us on the podcast said Orange County could pull this off, but really we're not the big experts. But none of the major experts, except for one person, at least heading in to the playoffs, that was Joe Malfa. I'll give him props because he picked Orange County to win it all. But we even had a video from him on our last show, and he even said, Going into that final, he didn't see this happening the way it happened with Orange County winning in such a big fashion that they did against Tampa Bay. What does it mean to you that you had a different head coach to start the season? He gets sacked in the middle of the year, and then you have Richard Chaplow coming in as the interim. 
and then you get to this moment and you win the whole damn thing. Is that a uh, a storybook fantasy movie that you're hoping is going to get played one day in the theaters, or did you expect that to happen? Period. Oh. It would be amazing if if a Hollywood writer decides to make a script out of this season for Orange County, but you never know. It, it's happened to a lot smaller sports stories, but um, there was a lot of conflict on our podcast even uh, about the dismissal of Coach Brayden Cloutier uh, and the transition of Richard Chaplow. Myself, I looked at it, um, if you go back and check me out on so, some social media and listen to some of our old episodes uh, around that time, I looked at it as, I, I felt Coach Brayden Cloutier had not lived up to the expectations that had been put on him uh, ever since the team had made the Western Conference Finals in 2018 and lost to Phoenix. Uh, I think there was these expectations from the club that they're going to compete year in and year out uh, for the Western Conference title, let alone the USL championship title. And each year from that point on, it got a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. You look at um, uh, 2019, they barely sort of get into the playoffs, not really playing well, and then they lose to uh, eventual champions in Real Monarchs in 2020. COVID hits, but everyone in the country was dealing with COVID, so every team had the same situation. And Orange County gets off to a good start, but then – sort of fizzled out mid-season to the end of the season, misses the playoffs. And you even look at this season when Coach Braden Cloutier got relieved of duties, the, the team had gotten off to a pretty decent start and then started fizzling on a you know, seven- or eight-game run where they just were looking like they didn't care anymore, there was, they weren't listening to the coach, whatever it was. Um, I, I feel like the change was necessary. Uh, there will be some argument from some of my podcast mates that maybe the team should have waited till the end of the season. And I think even with this championship, they still are not 100% sold on the change was the right change at the right time. But I think the only way you had a chance to salvage this season for Orange County, um, this is not even thinking about them making a deep run in the playoffs or even winning the championship, was to make that coaching change to get some energy behind these players to find out okay, which of these players really are worth looking into keeping for next season or building around? And like Devin said earlier, I mean, it just was Richard Chappell coming in, doing what needed to be done with this team, getting the motivation. He played with some of these players even. I know Tim, uh, Thomas N. Volton was a, for, a former teammate of his here at Orange County. Um, I think Kevin Alston and Darwin Jones uh, were with him still when he was with the roster, uh, when he was a player. So, uh, you know, that, that change and, and the system implementing that cup-style soccer where you're not trying to push the ball up and score a bunch of goals. You're just looking for your moments, and that's exactly what Orange County did is they pick and show, chose when they wanted to push forward, when they wanted to attack. Uh, and other than that, they were just very secure and steady in the back. And when you have a solid veteran defense like that uh, and throw in like a Dylan Powers or a Tommy McCabe who can – uh, help help your defense out quite a bit. Uh, it, it was perfect. It, it was a Hollywood story if there ever was one. But yeah, I was I was on board with the change. Uh, but like I said, not the whole Orange County fan base was. And even to this day, some of them are still a little upset about the switch to Chaplow in the midseason. Well, I think they should change their minds because Chaplow just delivered them a championship for the very first time ever in the USL Championship League. And uh, what a night that was at Al Lang Stadium. How many made the trip 
do you know uh, across the country to get to that USL championship final? I don't know an exact number, but based on who I've talked to uh, and reviewing some of the video, I want to say there was probably a good 20 to 25 fans that made the trip. Not all of them uh, were together. Uh, there were some fans that got better seats in the stadium. Some got the whatever the, the Tampa Bay Rowdies were providing to the traveling fans. Uh, but those fans that made that trip, they were 100% amazing. Uh, they showed that Orange County spirit. Uh, I, I've heard some stories already of, of things that happened throughout that whole weekend. Um, and especially with Orange County winning that championship and those fans uh, getting to celebrate with the team, uh, sharing with the, the enjoyment, uh, interacting with uh, the front office and the players, it, it was so awesome. And those fans, I, I give much props to them that were willing to make that trip. It's it's hard. Like with the NFL and the Super Bowl, you know the date and the time, the location way in advance. But when you have something like this where you don't know uh, until, what, seven days prior to the match of where you need to go and then trying to struggle and make those plan, those trip plans. Oh, and also, hey, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so there's going to be a lot of people uh, traveling or coming home from travel on that Sunday, uh, they they made it happen. They found a way to make that happen, and um, hopefully no one upset any family members because there was plans to do other things. Uh, but props to those fans that made the trip. And, uh, again, a lot of those fans that made that trip have been longtime Orange County uh, SC fans, back to the Blues days. Uh, again, those tales of couches and uh, buckets of, of beer uh, to the games. Uh, are from some of those fans that made that trip. So a uh, props to them for, for all of that, and it, it was amazing to see that. Uh, although I, I, I was a little mad that the ESPN coverage didn't really show the Orange County fans uh, until, what, the 70th minute uh, of the match. I, I wish they would have uh, shown those fans at the stadium a little bit earlier just to prove that there were some Orange County fans there. Last question for me. Has there been an announcement of a uh... – Fan Appreciation Day, um, not so much a parade, but maybe a gathering somewhere in the uh, Irvine area or in the Southern California area where the fans that did not make the trip to St. Petersburg, will you be there to celebrate with the team and uh, celebrate with the trophy? Uh, there's been no official announcements that I've heard of like a fan event at this time. I know there's talk about there's going to be stuff. Uh, when I hear from the front office, there's going to be multiple opportunities throughout the um, offseason for fans to uh, celebrate this. I know one of those things that maybe isn't quite there because you don't really get to uh, be up close with the cup and the team. I, I believe tonight the, um, there was plans for the cup to make an appearance at uh, the Anaheim Ducks game, uh, and the Anaheim Ducks were going to help celebrate you know, our victory in this, this championship. Uh, so I know a few fans were trying to make the uh, – make it out to that match, and the cup would be there. And uh, I believe, from what I was hearing, goalkeeper Patrick Rakowski would make the uh, trip to the arena to celebrate this. So there's going to be I, – I think the plan is there's going to be a lot of events throughout the offseason. I'm sure, though, that there's going to be something where it's going to be come out to the stadium or come to this specific location, all the fans that want to come out and come celebrate this. Uh, obviously, this isn't like 2002 when the Anaheim Angels – win the World Series, and you have thousands upon thousands of people making their way to Angel Stadium. This is a little bit of a smaller-sized um, event, but I, 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 from what I'm hearing, the front office is really going to 
take this this cup win and run with it, and they're going to uh, have things with the fans to help celebrate, especially those fans that couldn't celebrate with the team out there in Tampa Bay um, from that. But yeah, it, it, it's it's been amazing, and it, it's again, it's we're still on this high as as Orange County FC fans. Um, you know, we we our last podcast episode, we just basically threw a party. I, I downed a whole bottle of champagne. It wasn't champagne. It wasn't called champagne, but, you know, the bubbly stuff while we're just having a good old time um, and uh, celebrating this win. And we had a lot of great friends that sent in some congratulation messages on that too. So it was awesome. This is, this is new to us here with Orange County Soccer Club, so we're still trying to get used to this. Okay. Well, you know what? <laughs> Excuse me. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, next season it'll be a lot better. Maybe we'll get back to a, a normal type of uh, season with the USL Championship. But you know what, Ray? Congratulations. Uh, watching Orange County pull off the big victory down at Al Lang Stadium against Tampa Bay Rowdies. And good luck next season. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a back-to-backer. We'll have to wait and see. But you and, and uh, your buddies on the soccer cast, I hope you guys uh, – Continue to be smiling, enjoying yourselves, and uh, when the uh, party truly begins, I guess, when the team has those moments, uh, hopefully uh, you have some fun. So thank you very much for joining me tonight, and I hope to catch you again sometime next, next season. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Thank you. Ray Samora from the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, the podcast for Orange County SC. And uh, it's just a lot of fun to hear these people who have basically pour their heart out and their soul for their football club, for their soccer club, when they're in the big final in the excuse me in the uh, USL Cup Championship uh, League. And Orange County does it; they do it spectacularly. Three goals in the first half. They did convert, uh, they did cough up one, but Tampa Bay had nothing in the second half. Orange County, excuse me, Orange County comes up big, and they earned their first ever championship in USL Championship League by winning it by a final of three goals to one. Just amazing stuff to look and read and to see. Just amazing to listen to what Mr. Samora was talking about with Orange County and from their perspective. And it's just fantastic to know what they were thinking, what they were saying. And it was just absolutely wonderful. And uh, hopefully, who knows, maybe they'll go back to back. You never know. Uh, there was a moment where I really thought Louisville City was going to become a dynasty uh, in USL Championship when they won their back-to-back titles and then they were going for a third title until Real Monarchs, which is the Real Salt Lake USL Championship-owned team, came out of nowhere and found a way on the road to take out Louisville City while they were playing their championship game on the campus of the University of Louisville at their soccer stadium. And now that they have Lynn Family Stadium, they don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. They'll host playoffs and championship right there. But who knows? We'll see what happens and see what Richard, uh, what the head coach, who will probably no longer be interim 
head coach Richard Chaplow. Maybe we'll see him pulling off another big moment for Orange County. We'll have to wait and see. But that will do it for the USL Championship game uh, season this year. And uh, hopefully we'll get back to everything being normal in 2022 in USL Championship as we move on and get ready for next year. So join me on Monday night, the MLS Cup Finals, uh, I would say the Conference Finals Review Show as the playoffs will continue in MLS this weekend. CONCACAF Champions League draw will be during the middle of the week. I believe it's on Wednesday. Um, So that should be interesting to watch. Or it's going to be actually after the weekend of next weekend. So uh, that will be a little bit different. Uh, So we'll have time. But, you know, once again, we got MLS Cup playoffs continuing uh, on the Four Year Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. Let's not also forget, we're also going to have uh, the final friendly, the final international match for the U.S. men's national team. They'll be taking on Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, over at Carson, California. Uh, there'll be a post-match show for that one. And then, of course, the uh, second show for uh, amateur clubs qualifying for the 2022 U.S. Open Cup. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be thrilling. And uh, then we'll be ready to finish off 2021 and get ready for the big finale finish in World Cup qualification in CONCACAF and then getting ready to restart the Open Cup once again in the 2022 season. It should be a lot of fun. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank once again Devin Kerr, ESPN Plus analyst uh, for USL Championship as well as for the U.S. Open Cup and in CONCACAF international events. I also want to thank Ray Samora from the Orange, Ca- Orange and Black Soccer cast talking about the Orange County fans' point of view of this championship year. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.